0: Hey, Salaam and welcome to Mecca Collective. Today we are blessed to be speaking with a really exciting entrepreneur, Mariam Rahman, the co-founder of Manal and a partner in Habibi Chicken. And so today we're going to be exploring various aspects of her entrepreneurial journey. Mariam, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Very excited to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Let's get straight into it. So, I guess the first um, question that I'd love to ask you is around um, your upbringing because it was an, an interesting place. So you grew up in Wagga Wagga, which is a, a town in regional New South Wales, um, and mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear about how that shaped where you are today and what you know how it shaped your inspirations and, and, and your general direction.
1: Yeah, I was born in Wagga Wagga, which is four and a half hours away from Melbourne and four and a half in Sydney. The, the sweet spot in between the two metropolitan cities in Australia. Um, I am the youngest of five and I, there's a pretty big age gap between me and my siblings. We're all humble and very close. So that also, I guess, reflects the kind of person that I am today. Um, but, you know, at the time when I was growing up, there was probably around 40,000 people. And in the majority people were Caucasian there weren't very many people who looked like me and then there weren't many Muslims as well. So at that time, I would say my parents were heavily involved in the community, but the kind of community work that they did wasn't just only, you know, for Muslims, but it was kind of like a lot of interfaith work, a lot of ensuring that we all integrated into society where we understood each other, where we respected our values and where we didn't need to compromise our values. So it was pretty difficult because um, I guess a lot of, um, you know, kids of um, immigrant parents can understand where you have that identity crisis. And I definitely had that. I'm like, oh, I'm not Pakistani enough. I'm, You know, but if I go to Pakistan, I'm into Australia. And so I, I was like, what, what am I? Where do I fit in? So that's that whole big story. But in saying that, one thing that was instilled within us as children was, um, you know, having very good Islamic values um, and knowing what was very important, but also having um, an importance and respect, I would say, towards our culture as well. So finding the sweet spot took some time. And I'll, I'll probably say till I got to university is when I really understood where I sat between my culture and my religion and as an Australian. Um, but it was definitely an interesting road. Like I didn't have that many Muslim friends. It was probably, I had like four and we're still pretty good friends now. And everyone's kind of moved away, but we're still quite close. Um, but in saying that, because of the tests that I faced as a child to an adult, I definitely needed those experiences to be more certain about who I am today. And I think if I was around more kids like me, that I wouldn't really have to question at a younger age. So I was faced with questions of, you know, you know, why Islam? Like, why do I do this? Why do I have to wear this? And everyone else is wearing this. It's so hot. Like, I want to play sports, but. They wear this. So there was, you know, I was very heavily involved in sports. I used to be a sprinter when I was younger. Um, and, like, just dad would always take us fishing or we just outdoor kids. Mm. But in saying that, like, as you know, well, back then, they were very archaic with their rules on what you were, especially girls and what they wore when you played sports. So I had a situation, um, and I would always wear skins, and I was always covered up, and we were playing uh league tag in another city and i remember their ref um, wouldn't let us start the game um, and stop the game because of me because of what i was wearing and he said you have to take that off or you cannot play and i was just and everyone's like buddy it's like it's fabric like she hasn't got an advantage (laughs) um but you know i stood my ground and everyone was like you know fan chill it's fine and then we we continued to play but for me as a kid, like it is a very intense feeling where you have all these parents and you have all these schools just watching you and everyone's looking at you like, oh my God, like she's holding up the game because it is like, why can't she take it off? Right. And I probably could have, but because of the values that were, were instilled within me, I was like, hell no, like that's just, that's not how I operate and that's not what I was taught. And if this piece of fabric is the reason why I cannot play with you or play in this game, I'd rather not play at all. Yeah. That kind of shapes a lot of I, and even my still things I think we're all kind of the same where it's like if we if we see something doesn't just fit well or right with us it's about standing up for what you believe in and that's what I love about Islam as well is that we're quite black and white when it comes to what we believe in and what we don't and standing up for that because as an individual and as a leader whether it's in your community or in the business world um you do need to have values that you believe in and I think that goes broader than um I think religious individuals as well, if we look at any of the leaders within big corporates like they're very they're people who you some you're kind of intimidated by because they know what they want and they know what they believe in so I think as Muslims we're given a very easy opportunity where we're told what we should believe in um, and what we should value because that not only is going to help us succeed in this life but in the hereafter as well The
0: themes I'm getting from that are there's a stubbornness that comes from uh, being different and having to co- constantly defend that or feel like you have to defend that. And I think w- what emerged from that um, response mm-hmm. that insight was, um, you know, you grew up obviously in an environment where it's a Muslim minority place. So there's not many people mm-hmm. that are the same as you, um, but the, the values are instilled strong enough that you stand by them. You know, they don't sort of dissolve and and um, and leave. And so mm. it sounds to me like, um, you know, so you've always sort of had a path that's been different to others, which is interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I've spoken to and a lot of people that um, you know, are visionaries have to tread their own path in a sense. Um, they yeah. follow a path that's not common in the circle that they're in. Um, mm. And that's really interesting because I think that theme is is quite common among entrepreneurs. And then the stubbornness, I think, and the resilience that you have to have in the face of yes. adversity, um, it's, it's probably one of the most important business skills for someone that's a founder because, it, as you know, it can be, a, can be a lonely place and a place where you second-guess yourself. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think that it, 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 it's clear, I think, having spoken to you yeah, where those values come from, which is, which is awesome to see. Um, yeah. So going from sort of childhood, growing up in Wagga, nice big family, um, what took you down the path of, Manal, and I'll actually explain um, Manal. So it's a, from what I understand, it's a boutique branding agency, data-driven, um, and trying to do things differently in a sense um, to what a lot of other branding agencies are doing. Um, and you've managed to win some really impressive clients. I love the website. It looks great. Thank you. <laughs> and even all the social media um, posts, I, looked at, I look, looked at the Instagram and, and it's at We are Manal M-O-N-A-L-E. Um, so everyone like and um subscribe Thanks. and follow. Um, yeah, and I really love the the cleanness of the cleanliness of the brand and the way that um you know you've designed uh, mm-hmm. brand identities for your clients. But so how do you mm-hmm. go from the Wagga Wagga growing up experience? To, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a bit in that journey. So please, yeah, let us know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, talking about stubbornness, I'm still in logger. <laughs> I was like, I'm starting this agency here. I'm not moving. Everyone can come to me. <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't like that, but to, to make it simple, um, the journey, like in terms of me becoming resilient, I, I don't think I was ever always like this. I think I had these situations where I was constantly tested and I had to question myself from a very young age. So I'm talking like from nine years old. Whereas I find that a lot of people in the city who might be around, you know, like minded individuals from a younger age, it's it's probably adulthood around eighteen above is when you really start questioning your identity. So I had to do it a little bit quickly. Um and in saying that, like it still did take time. Like I wasn't always the way I am now. So I know sometimes when people listen to entrepreneurial stories, they're like, oh, like it, it just happened. They had this epiphany. No, we we have like, sometimes like God is slapping you in the face like 10, 15 times before you actually <laughs> get the moral of the story. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I did my HSC and I, I did a terrible job at that. Um, and luckily my parents were never really like, hard on us wait on me for education because I think I was the youngest kid in the like, look oh we've got four that have made it this one is okay
2: thank you, thank
1: you. So the, yeah they were just like oh you know hold up there oh you know it happens it's fine they never really said anything but I yeah my HSC was okay but I got into accounting and finance um at State University here and I was studying it and I did a year of it absolutely hated it hated my life and I was like you know what I've always been a person where um, I cannot see myself spending like time is something that's so valuable and we're not guaranteed it. Like we're not guaranteed life tomorrow. We're only guaranteed what we have today. And I've always had that mindset ever since I was a kid. It's just always been that way. So I'm like, there's no way I'm spending two more years to finish this and work in a corporate job to finally make it. So I I left my degree without telling my parents. And then um, we were, I know, <laughs> and then yeah. we went overseas for, I think, maybe my cousin's wedding, and my uncle and auntie were there. We're having, you know, um, we're having lunch at Manal. I don't know if any Pakistanis know of Manal. It's actually a, a restaurant, like a franchise. It's, it's closed now, but it's, it's in Islamabad and Lahore, and I think Karachi, I'm not sure. But we're in Lahore, Manal, um, and that's where I told my parents that I had left um, my university degree. And they, because I had dark humor, it's kind of a part of me, they thought I was joking. And then my mum realized that, I don't think she is joking. And everyone kind of just went quiet. And I don't even know where I had, I, I really do think it's from God because I wasn't a very confident person back then, but I had the ability to cancel my call. Um And then from there, I mean, I always uh, was into a bit of like creative work. So I had like a photography business when I was 16. So that's when I got my first ABN, but it was kind of like a hobby. And at that point, because I was like 17 or 18, I was like, okay, I need to do something. I can't just not do anything. So I went back into photography full time. And that really was the start of me being, I guess, tested in the business world. Because yes, I was a photographer and I didn't really foresee myself being a photographer forever. The lessons that came with it, like tax, finding clients, making them trust you, making them believe that what you have is of value, knowing that you can deliver, what are the deliverables, contracts, agreements, you know, all these things, that that was the, the kind of the first place where I started learning about business. When I understood that it wasn't something that I wanted to do forever, that's when I kind of got, got into marketing and started freelancing with some of my business, some uh, of my clients, because it just worked out that they already knew me. And at that time, content creation was huge. So they always needed, you know, um, like a marketing, digital marketing assistant and stuff. So I was dabbling into that and it turned out I was pretty good at it. Um, and then maybe a year after that or year or two after that, um, I started a digital marketing company um, and that was 18, eighteen, nineteen, or something. And, you know, I had a team and, and it was going great. But I noticed that a lot of companies were like putting – massive amounts of, amount of money, but they weren't getting the returns that they wanted. And it wasn't because the funnels were bad or blah, blah, blah. It was just they didn't have any unique point of difference as a company. And nor did they really showcase that across the whole experience. And that's that's what brands are. It's not just, you know, marketing here or a customer journey. It's the whole entire experience. On that, um,
0: is that the yeah. marketing agencies that were around at that time was sort of applying a cookie cutter approach so there were yeah. funnels and you know all of that sort of algorithmic um yes. mathematical approach as opposed to the artistic approach or creative correct approach. yeah
1: yeah and in saying that like i totally i totally value and respect the need for data and i i know that you need to be you know very objective about where you're going but there needs to be an essence of it's a long-term game to get people to to have customer attention to to scale your your business. It takes time, and there's a very odd approach that was becoming normalised. That if you put if you have a large um, investment, then your ROI is going to be big too. But it, that's just a poor guarantee. And and that's when I, I pivoted and created Manal. Um, and you can probably see the correlation with Manal <laughs> there. Um, was that we understand where companies want to go and we ensure that we back all our strategies with data. And we there's three kind of facets that we look at and, and we've created our own philosophy called considered Design, which is looking at past, present and future data, whilst knowing their growth vision, which is all about where does that, where do the C-suite or stakeholders, where do they want to take the company? So once we align those things together, then we bring in that creative approach. Okay, how does this come to come to be in a unique way so that you can stand differently in the market? And that's the premise of what we do now. Um, yeah, that's how we got to
0: That's really that. interesting. I mean, the evolution. So we've gone from freelance photography effectively, which is a hobby more or less when you're 16, 17 years old, um, realising that there's value in what you can do with that skill set, applying that to um more digital marketing type of work and then yep. transitioning. so we're talking about how long a time period are we talking between the starting of the you know a, a, a hobby photographer who's you know then left her degree behind and then admitting that to her parents yeah. Is so difficult
1: yeah you would think it's like a 10 year span but it was only like three or four <laughs> okay
0: yeah, I did quickly. very young um, and have achieved a lot in a short space of time. But um, that's remarkable. I think um, what's what's really interesting there is um, it sounds to me like you didn't really have a safety net because um, mm-hmm. you know with with a degree, a lot of I think a lot of particularly subcontinental, perhaps people people with subcontinental background. Yep. There's an emphasis in the Muslim community and generally that university is almost like a prerequisite to life. Uh, As soon as you finish you've got to go into medicine, engineering, accounting, law, something. Um, Mm. What that tends to give uh, migrant parents is some sense of surety that there's a basic, that they're not going to be out of a job. But as we know nowadays, um, given where the world is shifting to with tech There are no guarantees, and and you know sometimes the labour market feels like it's going crazy, and there's a massive war for Mm. jobs. Within a few years, it's really difficult to find a job. So it's it's Mm. really, and I think um, that that certainty that people had in certain career paths is probably not as certain anymore. Um, Mm. But uh, that's true, yeah. Interesting that you know um, you took this bold step to to exit your degree without getting parental permission, which is uh, <laughs> all, to say the least. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I guess, yeah, you didn't really have, it sounds like you didn't really have a backup plan. You sort of just exploring. Um,
1: I've never had a plan B. That's the kind of person that I've always been. It's it's either this and if it's not working, try something different. But so The goal is still going to be the same. And I think the moment that you have a plan B, as in like a fallback option, plan Bs are fine if it's like, okay, this, particular way is not working to get to that goal I'm going to try that's fine but if it's like oh this this idea is not working I'm going to try completely something different and just not do this anymore I don't think if you're a person who gives up on things easily then you're probably not fit for entrepreneurship Mm. and if you want to ensure that you are fit for entrepreneurship ensure that you can build yourself up so that you don't give up on things being hyper focused and resilient, resilient in in all facets of your life, that contributes to success in this life and the next and also in your in your career as well. And if we look at um Prophet Muhammad, Al-Salam, his resilience was just, you know, top of the range. It's something that none of us can compare our resilience to. But I think if we look at um you know, discipline is something like for me, I obviously had a phase where I wasn't really as religious as I am now. Um, but because my mom was pretty hardcore with me when I was younger, um, about you know praying five times a day, even when like I didn't feel like praying, and and sometimes I would pray late, or you know, I just honestly, sometimes I didn't feel like I was connected at all to my religion. But because it became routine practice to me, I just naturally get up for Fajr. It's just, it happens, I can't not, and I have this immense guilt if I don't. And I think I remember reading a hadith or something like, even if you you know, you're not, oh, no, it wasn't a Some lady was saying that, you know, I don't feel connected in my prayers and I feel very guilty about it. Mm. The other person said that the act of you even getting up and doing that shows how much that you care, even though you're not feeling connected at that very moment, that discipline and constantly doing it, that's going to get you to a point where you're going to feel connected, but you shouldn't leave things altogether. And then even as an example of prayer, I think that also funnels into our life. Like we shouldn't give up on things just because they don't work for the first 10, 15, 20, 100 times. You know, um, if if it really aligns with your values, don't give up on it. That's yeah. the biggest lesson.
0: I think that's really interesting. And I think prayer is a really good example because it's something we do often, um, five, you know, obviously five times a day. And so, you know, I think all of us um, have experienced moments where the prayer doesn't feel as sweet as we'd like it to or compared to another time now. Mm. Um, but because it's an obligation, we—you know sometimes it's one of those things you do that you're doing because you have to do it. And other times you do it out of love because you're like, I'm in love with Allah. And you're feeling it and you're in that moment and you're in a different spiritual space. Um, mm. And I think that's a really interesting parallel because the requirement is you've got to do the work. So, you've got to, mm. you've got to pray, you got to turn up to Salah five times a day, no matter how you're feeling. Sometimes you're feeling really into it and connected and present. Other times you're not, but you still got to show up. And mm. I think that's a really good analogy for success in anything else, like you've just said. Literally,
2: um, yeah.
0: I think that's a really interesting parallel. And I think it's mm. an advantage, advantage Muslims have because we're using that, um, we're learning yeah. the lesson elsewhere in our, in, in our lives.
1: As Muslims too, and, and something that I'm a big believer in now, um, is that just striving for excellence in everything that we do. Um, there's a very big, I don't know if it's like a, a past decade thing or, you know, always just just aim for for good, but don't be too over, don't be too assertive, don't be, you know, it's rude, it's disrespectful. I think that's a very cultural thing. Um, I think you can be humble and a respectful person. But Islam grew on the premise of its excellence. And the philosophers we had, um, the scholars we had, mathematicians, the scientists we had were all very well educated and excellent people. Mm-hmm. And I would love to, you know, in any shape or form assist and network with anybody who has big plans and what, who's ready to put in the commitment and work to do that. But if we support each other and all support each other to, to strive for excellence, I think the next genera- generation of leaders that we'll have in Australia um, are going to be making some pretty bold and big moves. And now more than ever, we need we need that because yeah. we're, we're really lacking it. Yeah. We really need it. So I think it's kind of our, all of our responsibilities to con- contribute and assist one another yeah. to be the best.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really interesting because, um, you know, as we've previously discussed, um, the Muslim Ummah or the Muslim Ummah and civilization obviously ebbs and flows in terms of its success in the world in a worldly sense mm. um, as a civilization and we've probably mm. over the last couple of hundred years um, felt a bit of a decline with with world politics and and geopolitical situation with that comes uh, you know a sense of sentiment around confidence in um, Muslim ability and so we've kind of shied away from being really bold and really assertive and really ambitious and creative over the last couple Correct. of years. And our civilization has probably suffered as a result. And I think the world has suffered as a result because as you true. mentioned, um, you know, in the earlier um, periods of the Muslim Ummah, um, we had a very open-minded, bold uh, approach. And from mm. that gifted the world so many amazing things. Um, mm. But I think on your point, um, you know, drilling that down to something specific, and tangible. Um, one of the things that Mecca Collective is trying to do is, um, you know, one third of our religion is Ihsan, um, the, the value of spiritual excellence, um, mm. in the Hadith of Jibreel, um, Prophet um, you Prophet know, was visited by, by uh, mm. Jibreel al-Islam, and in that, you know, one third of the religion is Ihsan, which is um, to worship Allah as if you're seeing him, although you don't see him, he sees us. So. That's mm. constant striving for excellence in everything that we do is a mandate, it's required. And so I think what you've just articulated is, you know, we shouldn't settle for being mediocre, we shouldn't be sure. shy about being ambitious, and I think that, that message is really, really important. And I think, um, you know, one thing we're trying to do at Mecca is to showcase people who are um, in our community, bold, trying to do great things. And so... Um, to the extent you're encouraging people, I think it's awesome. And I think, you know, we, we really need more of that. So, um,
1: mm, Yeah. I didn't mention this to you before. I probably should have. But um, ever since I was younger, my parents had always kind of run the Sunday school here. And we all grew up in that. And a lot of my friends went through that. But it's still actually going on. And I now I'm assisting um, in that organization. We've changed it to a not-for-profit. But the whole pre- the premise of that not for profit or social enterprise rather is to create the next generation of Australian leaders. So, and I, I wanted to share this because the next generation of young leaders is kind of to shape them. The onus is on us to guide and be a good good role model. So, I know that we're all pretty focused on our you know our immediate network, but also our, our children's network. That's very important as well. So. If we can support each other from that lens, not only are we going to be covering ourselves for this generation, but the next as well. It's very, very important. And that's also a thing thing that's pretty close to me as well because when I grew up here, I didn't really have anybody to to kind of support me and guide me. Um, And that's another angle I think is more something we should collectively all look at as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting you talk about the next generation when you're barely in your 20s. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm thinking ahead. (laughs) <laughs> That's really good. I, um, you know, a, a lot of people that are at that age or at that stage are very focused on establishing their own base and their own network. Um, but I think having that focus or one eye, at least, on the future, um, you know, it, it's really, really important, as you mentioned. Um, so, yeah, um, what I, I'm conscious of our time, but I, I'd really love to ask you a few more questions about Manal itself. So, um, mm-hmm. in terms of the business, so, you know, how many years has it been running for and, and what's been the growth yep. sort of seen in that business specifically?
1: So I would say it's probably been around three to four years. Um, and the kind of clients that we've had, like, I didn't even touch on it, but when I was starting that photography business, it really started from there, my client relationship. Um, because they've also seen me grow and I've, you know, been able to then get referred to other people. Uh, But I was handing out business cards on Baylor Street, which is in Wagga, very tiny street. That's our main CBD. And I was just handing it out, talking to people. They hated me. But I was (laughs) shopping in town their throats. Um, And that's that, even though, you know, obviously I don't have the same clients, it was completely different. That was the the stepping stone to to where we are now. And it kind of taught me the confidence to be able to go out and speak to people and and just kind of speak to them at a humanized level. The clients that we have now um, are particularly in, in scaling stages, so they're not new businesses. They're um, businesses who, I guess, um, have received either Series C or ABC A, funding or companies that want to get listed on the stock exchange. So they have big plans. And to be able to do that, becoming an industry-leading brand is quite important. So brand differentiation is, I guess, the key metric, the business growth, growth they want to achieve. And Manal, our main focus to excel is to accelerate business growth. Um, so when we work with clients who are in that scaling position, we can actually deliver material support and strategies to ensure that they reach their goals. It's definitely a long-term thing, and we're quite committed and partnered with our clients. Um, but there's like only four of us on our team, so we very tight-knit. Um, and in saying that, it's still the start, so I do have quite a few plans. And um and I, I do my aim is to to build a very good strong network of you know high net worth individuals um, who care about ethical companies who care about Islamic values, but we can all support each other um, so yeah that's that's our sweet spot
0: uh, excellent um, yeah that's what, I mean it's a really interesting stage to engage with clients because when they're on that exciting growth trajectory towards listing or towards a big investment round, um, they've got, I wouldn't say one, you probably know better, but they they might have a a really big opportunity to define their brand, and that's something that can be really lasting. So it sounds like you're coming into companies or coming into businesses at a stage where they can really define a path forward for themselves. So it's really interesting.
1: Correct, yeah. And and the reason why it was so important for us to work with clients that are in that scaling stage is because they have data that we can actually work with. And we're not able to work with new companies because there's not enough data that we can work from to be able to you know, deliver an outcome. So for me to say, oh, we can accelerate your business growth, I need to ensure that we can actually do it. So um, that's why that's a good sweet spot. And I also find when you go higher up the chain, things don't really get done because they're already quite established. And I love working with like-minded individuals who have big plans, just like myself, because it's, it goes. It goes beyond um, relationships for that one business or that one project. And there's so many ways that we all support each other. Um, and that that's when I when I talk about networking, it's not just for my own personal gain, but it's a reciprocated, mutual relationship that we can assist each other to grow.
0: Yeah. Um, so tell me about some. Uh, I'm going to ask you about positives and negatives. So I want to ask you first, maybe with a a really big win. Um, or something that you know, a, a story around the point in time you knew, okay, this is, this, I'm onto something here, and I know, um, you know, uh, this is it for me for the next period of time in my life. Like when did you? Yeah, know,
1: that's oh, hard one. You can Stick to. I guess one thing that I this is my own issue is I never really feel like I'm there. I'm like, no, nah, next thing, ah, next thing, and I'm not really there. But if I look back and appreciate certain like milestones and stuff um I would say like we've had some really cool clients at the moment we're working with Crescent Wells, and that's a really really fun one and i, I really find that we're quite like minded um in our values um I was recently nominated for um as a finalist for the outstanding upstand, young business leader for business in South Wales um which is a pretty big thing because the category is actually under 35. I'm the youngest, of am 23, <laughs> so I still feel like there's there's a lot for me to do. Um, you have 12 I more just, tracks at that yeah, award. <laughs> I know, literally, I was yeah, I was if I don't win this year, it's okay, I got 12 more. Um, <laughs> but I would say like the kind of networks that I have are people that if I stayed in my corporate job, I would never have spoken to. And I'm talking about CEOs of investment banks or uh, founders or directors of, um, you know, yeah, big private equity firms that, you know, before I would never have thought that I would even be able to get into a room, room with them. Um, and I have worked with really big brands to out in regional New South Wales, um, like Nutrient Ag Solution, which is stock listed, um, agricultural company. Um, but you know, even as a Muslim and who's brown and, I can still relate to, you know, white Australians, like we're besties out here. So the it's it's been limitless, like the, ne- the networks that I have and they're across all industries. So my bis- biggest success would probably be um, the kind of people that I've met and I- I'm networked with. I have a pretty vast network. Um, that would be the biggest thing, I would say. Yeah.
0: And on the other side of the scale, um, disaster stories or Or let's say challenges, because I think one thing that, you know, we hear a lot about, um, even with big figures that are in the public domain. So, you know, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or or Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. We hear about all of the, uh, you know, and we're talking about entrepreneurs, obviously. Um, Yeah. We hear about um, the success stories. We hear about sort of, you know, and it seems to me like it's almost painted as an overnight thing. but the reality is, like with everything, oh. whether it's religious pursuits, any other pursuits, academic pursuits, business pursuits, there's a lot of work that goes in and there's a lot of, I guess, failure that happens along the way that we overcome in order to, to reach a goal. So mm. um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Cause I'm really- yeah,
1: sure. Uh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> I will say one thing is um I don't think any like entrepreneur really feels like they've ever made it because it's constantly like this, you know, you never really feel like, ah, I've finally made it. I think it's definitely, you can look back and say, oh, you know, I've been through so much and I appreciate where I am now, but it's a constant journey, right? But if I think of, um, I remember when I first started, like I had people run away with money and not paying me. and And honestly, that still is quite common. You have clients who... You know, I'm pretty sure it's the same in your world. Like they're absolutely vile, <laughs> but the lessons that you learn from there is who exactly you want to work with, and you become a bit more selective about who you work with, and you can pick up on the vibes and stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of a particular story. Um, I don't think that anything is coming to my head right now, because problems are just a part of my everyday. I think solving problems has just become accustomed to me. Oh, it's, it's normal. Um, I guess as
0: a CEO and a founder, you, you know your ultimate job is to be the problem solver. Like you deal with all of the,
2: yeah,
0: you deal with all the difficult stuff that no one else can really solve in the business, and that's kind of what makes you. That kind of defines your role. Um, yeah. And so may, maybe maybe a better question to ask because there's probably been so many things that you're constantly solving is what challenges.
1: Does, yes, I, yeah. I can think of one challenge. Probably it's not so much tangible, but I would say the biggest thing. That sometimes I find would hinder or stagnate my growth. Now that I look back at it, it took me a bit of time to figure out what it was. But self confidence is something that I think people can overlook. And, you know, it's something that you can do a few therapy sessions, but if it's not, if you yourself do not believe you're worth, and even if other people compliment you and tell you that you're doing amazing, that's really not enough. You need to yourself believe that what you bring to the table is of value. That can be one of the hard, hardest things to do because sales is a really big thing, um, and networking is a really big thing as an entrepreneur. And you can't do that if you don't have any self worth or value.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I would find that on the journey, like I would be at this high peak, and then I would have a challenge, or I would be come across people who are just oh my god, and may God guide them. <laughs> and your confidence just goes down completely being a woman as well um, in a male-dominated industry um, because all the people that I work with and network with are directors and, and founders majority are men um, absolutely no, no hate against that gender at all but there is biological differences in the way that they conduct business and the way that women conduct business is a bit different um, and So that I would say really I did struggle with. Um, But the more I was very clear and cutthroat on my boundaries um, as a Muslim woman and still being assertive and and just cutting straight to the chase, um, that that really um, I found that my self-confidence grew with Islam. And if I didn't have that, um, I think I would have been pushed around a lot. So at that level, you really need to have confidence in yourself, and never ever compromise on your values.
0: That's really really interesting. There's two things that in that that I found really fascinating. The first is um, confidence, and Islam Islam's got an interesting relationship with confidence. I think, or Islam, the way Islam sort of um, sets up a a model for us to have confidence is interesting because. As a baseline, we're an on, honored creature. So every human being is an honored creature because by virtue of being a human being, you know. Um, so we're you know, we, we're given honor because God says we're given honor. Um, so mm-hmm. there's inherent self-confidence in the fact that we are a prized creation and we're valuable to Allah subhanahu wa So that's an interesting thing. At the same mm-hmm. time, humility was a hallmark of our Prophet. Celsius. And so mm-hmm. There's always this constant battle I find, and, and I think a lot of other people in the corporate world or business find the balance between humility, confidence, being assertive, standing ground. And, and I think that that's, that's a really interesting um, balance to try and strike. And obviously our Prophet is a model for that. Um, mm. But reaching that is, in, in ourselves is not always easy. And I think the uh, mm. second overlay on that is the fact that obviously, um, you know, being a woman, the challenge is I think multiplied in a sense because when they seek to be assertive um like a male can um they face an additional barrier because sometimes it comes across as them being um unhelpfully assertive, which is a really unfair bias and so um and this is from you know uh data I guess that I've gathered empirically from lawyers that I work with, so our team has yeah. you know, it's a, it's, a, it's almost like a fifty fifty balance of men and women in our in our firm. And the, the female lawyers find it more difficult because clients say when I'm like they say, you know, when I'm being assertive, clients consider me being aggressive. Whereas if a male is assertive and confident, it's yeah. the, the male trait, which is really unfair. I think that there's a an additional challenge for females to manage assertiveness. Do, do you that's true. That's
1: I think Now I am completely assertive when it comes to business as it should be black and white. There really shouldn't be emotions involved and I have reasoning to say this. Biologically, men and women are different and when a woman is too nice, that can give a different um, perception to the male. And if you can read between the lines there, you know is I've had instances where it's been taken completely the wrong way and I've been put in very uncomfortable positions. Now yes, I don't care how they perceive me at this point. You know what I mean? Like we we can all do things, we can be very nice people and people still will perceive us as terrible. But I think what's more important than that is like our own dignity, our own our reputation and what our what our beliefs are. So again, not compromising on our core values. Um, And as Muslim women, like there's been Muslim business, we don't even talk about her enough of um, how powerful she was. And she went out and proposed to the Prophet, which again, we don't talk about enough. But as women, when it comes to business, I'm going to completely change. I think they're two different things. Women by nature, we do have a very nurturing and loving aspect to us, that maternal side. Um, but when it comes to business, irrespective of your gender, and this both comes with males as well, it should be very direct and it should be very black and white. I don't think there needs to be any personal or emotional connection when it comes to that. That's where I think prob- problems arise um, with agreements, with contracts, with understanding, with assumptions. Things should always be very direct with that. And I think they might say in the co- in the corporate world is you know you should always be nice. But I actually don't. Think you need to when it comes to business. I think when you when you're just when you have colleagues and stuff, always be respectful. But when it comes to you asserting your right, what you value in, what you need, never ever you don't need to be nice. Yeah. You need to be direct. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah, that's just uh, what I've learned. And it, it's a bit blunt, and I know that, but just coming with experience, yeah. that's just the best way to be.
0: Yeah, I think it lends an objectivity um, to the to the endeavor, and I think. Um, I think you're right. Like, you know, I think when we look back at um, examples in our tradition, in our, in our um, Muslim heritage, um, whether it's male or female, I think that the best examples are the ones that were able to demonstrate savoir faire, which is that it's a French word, which I don't really love to be honest, but I, the meaning of it is really good, which is having the perfect um, comportment in the relevant situation. So address the mm, yes. situation. So if you're in if you're in a social setting and you're carrying yourself in front of your parents and grandparents, there's totally a, different. a particular way to be. Uh, when you're in a business setting, there's a particular way to be. Um, and I think that's that's really important to be cognizant of that and that and to adjust mm. your lens and behavior accordingly. And I think that that's yeah, it's a really good point.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of different to what I guess this generation talks about now is that you should be authentic, you should be vulnerable. No, I, I don't think you should ever do that in in situations, in situations when you're in business and things like that. It's the direct opposite. I think to to save your vulnerability and authenticity for people who deserve that and that is your friends, your family, people close and connected to you, and I don't think we should be willingly giving out that side of us to just anybody. I think that's that's something that is that should be earned. And um, even with your networks, that comes with time and relationship building. And that's how people respect you. That's what I found is yeah. the more that I was reserved, that I was direct about what I needed and and assisted them. And and I'm a woman of, uh man of your word, I'm a woman of my word. Um, I've been told that, I've, I had a client once, she i what's the word for, um, you're a gentlewoman. She <laughs> started to say you're a gentleman. <laughs> so I don't know how to say it, but that's, that comes through our actions and what we do i don't think like you can still get those um that reciprocation that oh that's a nice person and i respect them without having to be like emotionally invested is what i'm saying it's your actions when it comes to to the corporate or business world yeah
0: so one last question i really want to ask and i'm conscious of time uh have you Awesome branding. Uh, it's Thank you. We started a store in Wagga. I want to hear all about it and I want to hear just the plans for this cool brand. Yeah.
1: It's honestly a vibe and I'm not going to be biased, but it's probably I. someone said it was the best chicken they've ever tasted in Australia. <laughs> not going to say anything. Just read our reviews. Um, but, yeah, so that was kind of an idea between me and two other partners and we – Honestly, from idea, from inception to fruition, took four months. I don't know how we did it, um, but thank God, like it was all kind of God's guidance with that. Um, we opened up, and and the first the first two days we opened up, we sold over 400 chickens. We ran out. We kept running out first, oh. first week because you know it's the first chicken store. There's no other chuckle chicken store here. We didn't know. We we're just learning. Yes. Um, now, like you know, we go over 700 chickens a week. Like it's just it's it's manic. But alhamdulillah the the plans are to open up another store in Charlotte early two thousand twenty three. Not early, late next year.
2: Melbourne
1: So yeah. uh, it's no, it's not <sighs> Melbourne. Da, 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 da. it's actually pretty far away from Melbourne. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but That's it's good. close it's close to where Sydney is, so Sydney people. Um we won't really go into Metropolitan until we, we really get that brand awareness down pat. Yes. But we have pretty big plans and, um, yeah, so that's, that's just growing like kind of by itself. It is a lot of work, don't get me wrong, but the reason we started it was the premises to celebrate a hidden culture. We found that the Middle Eastern culture itself, there, there was like this, um, the Middle Eastern culture in Australia is not the same Middle Eastern culture you would find in the Middle East. And I say that the terminology, the language, the way they, they dress, it's, it's different. Like and, and I think Australians because we're so used to it don't realise that we actually do have a unique culture here. Um like of that Middle Eastern kind of um that demographic that we have. So we, we kind of had a nice twist to it where we want to integrate the culture into just like as a normal kind of yeah. as a normal normalized culture, not a stereotypical bad, you know, icky ghetto vibes we're like no this is something that a way we can bring everyone together and also kind of shine a light on something that's generally hidden or it's stigmatized so that's how it came about and um yeah we don't really have any plans to stop um we had like five stores in five years with our plan um but i i honestly think it might even be more than that
0: inshallah charcoal chicken is going to lead to the gentrification of australian (laughs) (laughs)
2: Exactly, who would have thought, who would have thought?
0: It's really (laughs) interesting because I think um, brand is such an important and powerful tool um, because it tells, it can speak a a conversation to people. um, And I think that, you know, the the recognition of, you know, we've we've had it in the past with um, immigrants from Greece, Italy, uh, in Melbourne in particular, Italians and Greeks, there's a huge population. Um, and yeah. that is a culture. There's an Australian Italian culture, an Australian Greek culture, um, exactly. And that is separate to Greek culture, separate to Italian culture. And and I think that it's really important to recognise the blend of that culture because it's something that's born and evolving here. Similarly with Muslims, similarly with sections within the Muslim community, um, and Muslims mm. obviously are not only Muslims. There's Christians and others as well. Um, mm. So so you know, charcoal chicken store. It's in, it's incredible that you. Yeah. Got,
1: yeah thank you so much thank you no it's been it's been a blessing for sure and um yeah it's it's nice to to have muslim founders and but still create something that's for everyone it's it's not you know for a particular type of person especially out here um like we had some lebanese drummers come down and i think it shook waga a little bit to the core but everyone loved it you know it was there's not many places here where people like us can walk in and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people I have never seen in my life, with, which is a very big thing because for me, I know everybody. Like I grew up here, and yeah. now I was like, I don't know any of these people, but they look like me. Like that's so great that it's a place where people feel feel comfortable to yeah. come out. So um, it's been it's that's what I love about it. It's 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 total vibe, as the kids yeah. say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> how do people find Pretty Chicken? How do they follow? The brand on social media. Um, let
1: us know. Yeah, how do they? Yeah, um, we're Habibi Chicken dot official on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and we actually have a thing running at the moment to to get uh, win a whole week free of Habibi Chicken. Oh, wow. But we're in. Wagga. that's just sad. But we've had people come from Sydney, from Melbourne, from Mildura. We've had people come from Canberra to try yeah, our chicken. Yeah.
0: Up if you're driving up to Sydney from Melbourne, um, there's a couple of ways you can go and the way to go through Dubbo, and I think it's through Dubbo and Wagga, is that right?
1: You're asking someone who uses Google Maps and Wagga, so I'm just gonna okay. silently agree with you. Let's just say
0: that there's a way to get to Sydney through <laughs> Wagga and that's the way you should go. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, look, um, that's awesome. Um, inshallah, you know, May Allah make it successful and, and grant you Thank you, thank experience. you. Um, and I think, um, yeah, Look, as a, do you have a final sort of message? I guess you know. I think we have so much more to talk about, and there's so many different threads can mm. explore in detail. That you know, we're running short on time because I'm conscious that you have to get back to yeah. the business. <laughs> <again. laughs> yeah. Um, so just yeah, I guess you know, our audience is is made up of people who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs, people who are in the journey themselves. Mm. Uh, we've got investors. We've got um, observers. Um, mm. To sum up sort of your, I mean, you're very early in the stages of your journey as well. I feel like, you know, there's so much more to come. It's going to be yeah, Yeah. Do you have a message for um, people who are looking to do what you're doing, you know?
1: Um, I think, like I said, I I kind of touched on it before. I think the self-belief and having certainty that you can actually achieve whatever you want, um, when you manifest that, it will happen. Like I, I, that's one thing I do believe in. that God has given you the capabilities um, as an individual um, and the honor, like you said, that if you just put your mind to something and do it, it might take you a few years, it might take you a decade, but it'll happen. It's just, do we have our own self-belief and the belief in God to have the certainty that we can do it? That's that's what the real test is, um, to have that belief. But you can definitely do whatever you want. No, and, like, I did it from Wagga, so literally you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. It's,
0: um, it's, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Um, like I said, um, you know, our prayers are with you and, and we pray for your success and may Allah grant thank you, you all the best things in this world and the next. Really grateful for your time. Thank
1: yeah, really I appreciate this. you having me. This is, this is really nice. It was a nice, easy conversation. And, yeah, no, thank you so much.